Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back to Gyro Nation Metal. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host. Soul de Sangre is a death metal band formed in Colombia in 2015. Although their membership remains solely Colombian, its members currently live in Colombia, Australia, and Singapore. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Gustavo Alderama, the band's vocalist and frontman. Gustavo is also one of the co-founders of Metal Against Coronavirus, a musical collective that was formed for the sole purpose of raising money against COVID. Gustavo, welcome and thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to meet you. Hey, Jeff. Uh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Um, what a great pleasure to be talking to you. Uh, and hello, everyone who's listening out there. And we have another guest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he just joined us, uh, Gonzalo. So uh, welcome, Gonzalo. I wasn't sure if Gonzalo was going to be here, so it's, uh, it's a pleasant <laughs> surprise. Hey, guys. Perfect. Well, I'm going to apologize first because I haven't introduced you at all. So if you wouldn't mind just giving me uh, maybe a quick introduction about you, that'd be awesome. Yeah, about me. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I'm Gonzalo Restrepo. Um, I'm Colombia, too. I live in Melbourne. Australia. Um, yeah, and I play drums in Soul de Sangre. Awesome. Um, Welcome. Yeah, and actually just at the same time, I play drums and, and, and work as a graphic designer here. Oh, cool. Yeah. So did you do the logo then for the band? No, actually, the logo is it has been made for a really good friend of us. Like, uh, it's an illustrator from Colombia. And, and yeah, he was in he was the guy that created the logo and then I've been working in a couple of stuff like uh, merchandising, um, the first record, all the layout, the artwork, um, some of this stuff and videos, social media content. So yeah, most of the things. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So one thing that I thought was quite interesting about you guys is, uh, you're spread out basically in three different continents you have you're in colombia australia and singapore so for you guys what prompted the move over to your respective countries um work pretty much uh i've been out of colombia now for probably 16 okay. years um i lived for for a while in the u.s i used to live in california and then in texas and then due to work i work in the education field and I work with international schools. So I've been kind of around the world. <laughs> I lived for a while in, for a couple of years in Saudi Arabia. And while living there is when we started the Soul de Sangre project. It was, you know, out of a need just being there and still wanted to play aggressive music and got in touch with, with a friend in Colombia. And then we start just exchanging files and trying to make, um, just trying to write some songs and then that's how we created our first album and then after that i moved here to singapore and then i've been here for a while like it's been six years and then did you move to australia for work as well or was that just more of a an interest of yours uh yeah more like interesting like i just i moved like eight years ago mm -hmm. to melbourne um just to try to learn english and do something different Yep. Um, and yeah, and this is supposed to be for a year and then I just get stuck here because I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and I enjoy it to be here, just stay here. But I try to go every year to Colombia and visit my family and my friends and everything. Yeah, it's basically that. Yeah, of course. 
that must have been pretty difficult over COVID. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you been back since everything's kind of opened yeah, up? Yeah, actually, I went this last December. Um, it was really unreal after, obviously, like two years of COVID. And for me, being in Melbourne, like it's just like two years of quarantine, basically, like in, in these lockdowns. And this was like a really crazy city like in terms of lockdowns and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I went back and it was so good to see my family and my friends. Yeah. Good. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, for me, it's been uh, it's been a, a while, man, since I went to Colombia. I think last time I was there was in 2017. Um, I was actually touring with one of my bands, with Head Crusher. We we had a tour. Uh, in Colombia, and that was 2017, and I haven't been there since then. You know, it was one of those things that every summer when I have a chance, I would go back to the U.S., and you're just pushing yeah. it like, ah, I'll go home next summer. Oh, I'll go home next summer. <laughs> and that summer never came. So so it's been a minute. It's been a minute for me since last time I was there. But but I haven't been – I've been able to see my family. Like, they have either come over here or I've been able to meet them somewhere else. So – um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been fine, uh, you know, just to keep in touch with friends and relatives. So, so it's okay. I have a question as well, Gustavo, uh, living in Singapore, do you also speak the Malay language? Uh, no, man. Uh, you know what here in Singapore, uh, Oh, you cut out. Uh, can you hear me? What you drinking? Oh, uh, no, <laughs> I was showing... Uh, Gustavo, the, the Defton Spears that I got, yes. Oh, cool. Just like two different editions of Defton Spears. Nice. Yeah, that looks pretty cool. I've never tried it. I, 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 I honestly, I haven't tried many of those, uh, you know, beer, like band mm -hmm. beers. Like I haven't tried many. I think the only one that I have actually tries the iron maiden yeah. beer just yeah this is the iron maiden beer yeah. so i had to do it but um you know there are a lot of other bands out there yeah. who have nice i got it but... i got it from a bottle shop here that is like a, kind of like a close to um like a different path like metal rock path and they have like a this deftones beers iron maiden they have one for motorhead and they have this um uh, a Slipknot uh, whiskey, and they have Volk in Flames vodka. I saw it yesterday, and and they have this uh, black and metallica vodka. I think oh no, I think it's gin. I don't know. They have a couple of stuff, different bands. All that really cool. I'm terrible at that, man. I just go for the cheap drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I, I've noticed a lot of bands are coming out with um, with different beers and stuff like that. Like, obviously, there's the more famous bands like ACDC and Metallica, but there are a lot of more local bands. Well, I say local, but a lot of smaller metal bands that I've noticed come out with yeah. um, with their beers yeah. releasing with their albums. Yeah. Yeah, I think, it, yeah, that's pretty cool. I think, uh, you know, all these small independent breweries as well, they're, they're pretty cool about collaborating with bands even if there are smaller bands so so yeah that's pretty cool and at the end of the day you know what it's another way for bands to 
try to make some money, another merch item, and and you know whatever bands can do to to make yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And I'm a fan of trying different kinds of beer. So if I can, whenever I come across something from an artist that I like, I definitely try. Yeah, yeah, and I and uh, I feel that most bands uh, really make a, a big effort in trying to make cool designs and make it memorable. So so it's a cool thing to have, you know. Once you finish your beer, if it's a cool can, you know, some kind of cool memorabilia. Definitely. Uh, so it's something like the good. album art too. It's a, it's something that they take a lot of pride in. Yeah, absolutely. I agree, man. It's it's one of those that, and it's and sometimes you know if this is this seasonal beers, it can be one of a kind. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So when are you guys coming out with a beer? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, we we you know what? Uh, if we were gonna come out with something. Um, I would go for some sort of national Colombian drink. Like we have this awful tasting um, <laughs> drink called Aguardiente. I'm not a big fan. It's kind of a nice, uh, is that the word? Anise, yeah, yeah. Uh, drink. And it, it's not great, but that's what at least when I grew up in Colombia, that's what you grew up with and then you would just drink it like if you were at a party that's what you would drink so i would come up with something nasty like that i don't know if it would make any money but something more like this is what colombians drink yeah <laughs> what does it taste like i don't know can you describe no, it Gonzalo? I, I don't really have yeah, a description I mean, for that it's like a sweet but really strong it's kind of like I don't know how can I say this. It's like a mix of vodka and gin at the same time. It's really strong. It's something like, for example, in Germany, you say you can find like Jagermeister. Yeah, Jagermeister is like the drink mm -hmm. from there. Aguardiente okay. is the drink from Colombia. It's like something specific from like our country. But the taste is like sweet, really strong, makes you drunk so fast. <laughs> But it's, it's good. It's good. It's just when you just want to get bashed really, really fast. Is is the way. <laughs> so it's not something you drink for enjoyment, really. Mm, kind of like it depends on the level that you have for drinks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, there are people who love that stuff, yeah. and they would drink it. Yeah, and it's can, actually uh... making different different variations of the aguardiente, like a no sugar like a less calories um whatever like specific flavors and stuff yeah there's a a really interesting drink but it was disgusting um i went to thailand a couple times and they have this rice whiskey and i had some homemade stuff the first time around and it was terrible so what happened was i went into one uh, a small bar and i got some of this homemade stuff I can't remember what it's called off the, off the top of my head. I'll have to look for it. But anyways, I wanted to try some because I've heard good and bad things about it. So I asked the bartender if I could have some, and she said, no problem. But then, uh, like an idiot, I rang the bell, so I had to buy a shot for everybody in the bar. Oh. But <laughs> I made the uh, the bartenders try some of this. And so I shot it, and it was terrible. And then, okay, well, I don't want to make a face. I looked over and I grabbed the nearest chaser that I had, but I accidentally grabbed the bottle of this stuff and I took another swig. 
that I regretted for a couple of days. Oh, I bet, man. It was brutal. <laughs> yeah, I've tried that. I've, I've tried, tried that rice whiskey too. and yeah. yeah, yeah, it really kicks your butt. Oh man, the smell just fills up a room. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So Ch Jeff, uh, before we go ahead, let me read it to you. I actually just uh, Googled the whole Aguardiente thing. So it says, Aguardiente is an anise flavored liquor derived from sugarcane. And it's yeah popular in the Andean region. That is where we are from, that, uh, that region. And it says, what else it says? That's pretty much about it. And it says that it has between 29% to 60% of alcohol in it. So yeah. It can, Jesus. <laughs> just like vodka, it can make you yeah. blind. <laughs> That'll knock you on your ass yeah, pretty yeah. quick. Yeah, yeah. Told you. So the region you guys are from, that's uh, that's north of Bogota, correct? Um, let me think. It's actually like north northwestish, I think, if I if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah. But it could be. Yeah, it would okay. be something like that. Um, I think I'm closer. My my town is a little bit closer to Bogota than than Gonzalo's. Um, okay. And which is crazy, man. It's only like I'm only about two hundred kilometers from Bogota. But it takes between seven to nine hours uh, by car because it's all mountains. So you have to go up the mountain and you go yeah. around the mountain. Yeah. But then you take a, like a flight is 20 minutes, 25, 25 minutes, minutes, 25 minutes. Yeah. It takes more time just to get at the airport and do the check in and everything else than actually flying. So, so yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's just, you got to go up those mountains. <laughs> yeah. It's actually 12, 12 hours from my con from my city to, to Bogota. Yeah. Like two hours more. That's just because of the, the region, like the, the mountains, like you said, that obviously it's not straight and you can't drive very fast. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's exactly what it is. You gotta be careful because it's going like up and down, up and down. <laughs> Do they have pretty narrow roads on those mountains? Oh yeah, there are some some areas where are pretty narrow and even just one lane. So you gotta take turns on both directions and then lots of trucks, you know, some of these big trucks. So sometimes you feel you're, you're racing with these trucks and it can be it can can feel dangerous, living in danger. For sure. Yeah. So what's the price difference like? Um driving versus flying is it pretty manageable to fly i think these days is well i don't know what the prices are like we after the pandemic you know all flights have gotten more expensive but um i think in the last few years it, it was manageable it was manageable yeah. for people it's to cheap. rather like, fly yeah uh now uh the mountains and the mountain ranges that you see when you're driving uh, are beautiful. So yeah. some people actually enjoy just, just you know, driving for, for a few hours and maybe a few stops here and there and just enjoying the, the view. Uh, so it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, a lot of greenery. Yeah. I Really nice. I love to do that. I love to stop in different places and, and stay for, like, for a night. Go to see like different rivers, lakes and stuff go into the forest and then go back and then drive again. It's so cool. Yeah, that would be really nice. See where I'm from, we have nothing but prairies. Uh -huh. And so like if I was to drive to um, somewhere with similar distance, like I would say Edmonton is about three hour drive from Calgary and that's about 300 kilometers. 
but it's a straight line. I mean, there are some turns, but you can see nothing but prairies on both sides, and it's really, really boring. You get out. You get and dangerous because you can get sleep. Yes, you can. Sleep, yeah, like really. That's easy. why you get your book. You're driving and, re and reading your book, right? <laughs> <laughs> Texting. <laughs> yeah. Well, like we were chatting just before the show, Gustavo, like um, Vancouver is gorgeous. Like driving down to Vancouver, as soon as you get past the Alberta BC border, it completely changes. And that's when I really start enjoying the drive. Oh, man, I loved it when I was there. Um, and as I told you, um, I was on a small tour there. So we played Vancouver and then a few other towns around. I can't remember the names right now. But uh, driving that area was beautiful. You know, you got the ocean, you got the mountains. Um, it it really reminds me some some parts of New Zealand, uh, and I kept yeah yeah, and I kept telling my body there that uh, it reminded me a lot New Zealand, just just how magnificent the mountains were there, and it just looked amazing. It, it was quite a view. It was beautiful. And so you really have been pretty much all over the world, eh? Uh, <laughs> Uh, a little, uh, yeah, I've done some travel, man. Uh, you know, like right now, living for, for six years here in Singapore is, is such an amazing hub. Uh, I mean, you can go down there, down to Australia and New Zealand, and then all this Southeast Asia region. Um, and then it's not that hard to go to Europe from here. So, so yeah, I've been lucky that uh, before, once again, before the pandemic, uh, you could find uh, cheap flights to go to lots of places. Uh, not the case anymore. So, so, so we'll see what happens. Do you, are you guys able to see each other relatively often? Or? Oh gosh, last time we saw each other was 2018, I think. Yeah, we were planning to meet up. Actually, we, that's our our plan was to meet up in Medellin, Colombia, to record our second album, and then and then COVID happened. Uh, but last time we actually hang out in person was, okay. was 2018. Gonzalo was here in Singapore and then, uh, we celebrated his birthday and have a, had a great, great time. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, nice. it's been, it's been a minute. Um, yeah, it's been, yeah. And before that you came here with your family. Yeah. Yeah. And I was there, I was, I was in 2017. Yeah. The, the previous year I was at his place in Melbourne. Yeah. Just a random question here. Other than language, what what would you guys say are the biggest differences between where you currently live and Colombia? Uh, go ahead, Gonzalo. <laughs> wow, like difference, like in terms of like everything, man. Like, like for example, Australia. This is this is the first war. Um, we came from a third war. That is totally different. Yeah yeah in terms of like health society culture everything is quite different i don't know like you just it's a totally different world it's a totally different dimension like even i've been like for america i've never been in in, in canada but in terms of for example all from new york to buenos aires and colombia all around kind of feel like something is similar around there and in here in Australia I feel pretty different like quiet not too loud yeah it's like uh everything is more chill 
I think it's, that's, this is why I like it. It's like more, yeah, it can feel like more relaxing. I don't okay. know. <laughs> yeah, but that's it. I don't know, like, how, how, what can I say? Like, I don't know, Gustavo in, in Singapore, like, it's a different country, different vibe. Mm -hmm. How can you compare, like, Colombia and Singapore? Like, yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's a whole different world, man. And even though, you know, Singapore is called uh, Asia 101 for Westerners, since everybody here speaks English from cab drivers to whoever else, teachers, everybody, everybody speaks English here. Uh, so so you don't you don't have to deal with the language, but uh, culturally is definitely uh, 180 degrees is, is quite different. Uh, but at the same time, when you get to know people one-on-one, -on -one, when you get to talk to people and get to know people, uh, it's one of those things, just like with any other culture, you realize uh, maybe we're not that different. Uh, we, yep. we, we all have uh, similar values and, 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 and we're you know, trying to accomplish similar things, you know, take care of family, being, being a good person, uh, trying to be a good member of society, those type of things. So you realize like, yeah, we may not be that different, but uh, from from a distance, culturally, yeah, it, it's, it's completely different. It's just a different vibe, I think. It's one of those things when you compare East and, and the West, while Westerners, we tend to be more, more individualistic and more uh, like own goal oriented. Here is more about the full society and working together and those kind of things. Um, yeah, I guess that, that that would be a way to sum it up. Yeah, I would agree with that, even with my limited experience. Um, I've traveled mostly to Asian countries, uh, but I have noticed that that community feeling like one of the coolest things traveling to Vietnam for the first time, we showed up at about like 11 at night, we went to this small restaurant. And at first we were the only people there, but then these gigantic groups of people came in and they basically, they had dinner after their late shifts and they were just so happy to be with each other. They were focused on each other. Um, one of the biggest differences I noticed at least there then was um, nobody was spending a lot of time on their phone. They were spending time with each other. Whereas sitting in a restaurant here, everyone's sitting there texting or scrolling, you know, Instagram or whatever. And it's kind of frustrating because nobody talks. Yeah, great observation, man. Uh, yeah, you see, you, you see that here. And when you go out, you see big families, you know, like you kind of see the three generations, you know, uh, grandkids, like kids, parents, and then grandparents. Uh, and all there together again not anymore because of COVID restrictions, but that's, that's something that you see quite often here. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, when you did your travel, Jeff, did you have any chance to uh, experience any metal in, in, in the Asian countries? No, I wish. Um, the only other country that I've been able to uh, go to a concert in was the States and that was, uh, it was in Seattle. So it really wasn't much different than here, but it was cool because we just happened to be in the same place as when the Sepultura or when Sepultura was doing their 30 year anniversary tour. Ah, I bet that was a great show, man. Oh, it was great. I've, I've seen Sepultura twice, Arsis a few times and, uh, now who else played destruction played. So that was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, and that's when I met my, my first guest, uh, Mike Savoya, he's a photographer. 
What's his name again? Mike Savoya. He sounds familiar, man. Yeah, he's been around for a long time, and he also he's a, an official photographer for like the Monsters of Rock cruise yeah. and stuff like that. So through talking with him, I was able to chat with him about like an autobiography yeah. by the lead singer of Behemoth. And he's like, yeah, one of my pictures is in there. So I'm like, well, I have the book in the car. So he ended up signing the book for me that night and we've stayed in touch ever since. It was pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good book. I liked it. I, li- I read it a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. Probably, probably more like four years ago. Um, yeah. Nice book. Yeah, it is. Now about you guys a little bit. So how did the band get together and, how did you guys choose the name? Um, yeah. Mm. So around 2015, 2014, probably, uh, I had in my computer some some files that a good friend of mine had sent me probably the year before. This is a guy that I used to play with around 2001, 2003. We used to have a band back home in Colombia. Uh, it was more like a type of a machine head type of band and and we did a few things for a few years and and, and we did pretty well back home and then one of those things that you know the band was over and we moved on and then separate ways and I never talked to this guy again and then he eventually contacted me through Facebook so so it was cool to talk to him again and then he sent me a few a few songs. He's like, "Hey man, I have these songs. Uh, check them out and see if you're interested in doing something." So I checked them out. At the time, I was pretty busy. I was touring with my older band, Head Crusher. We were like uh, pretty productive uh, in the U.S. We were living in Texas and playing tours and, and recording. So I didn't have much time. And eventually, I moved overseas. And and you know, one of these one one morning something. Just it pop in my brain. It's like, oh, these songs. I remember these songs. So I went and checked him out, and and I was okay. This sounds really cool. Let me give it a try. So I went to my home studio and and tried some vocals and sent them to the guy. I think I sent him two tracks, and then he he was like, this sounds good, man. This sounds pretty cool. Why don't we do a whole album? And I was like, sure. And he was like, well, I already have nine, ten songs. So, so yeah, he sent me all that and, and I started working on those songs and we started working on some arrangements, you know, like, why don't we change this here, try this there. And, and that's how we recorded the whole pre-production of the first album. And then uh, it was just the two of us and another friend, my, the, the friend that I was telling you about who lives in Vancouver. And, and we would just, it was just a, probably six months, eight months, just exchanging files and, and just trying out ideas, talking a lot uh, through WhatsApp and Messenger. And eventually we, we invited Gonzalo uh, to join the band. And finally, after a lot of this process uh, in 2018, we were able to, to release the, the first album. Um, so that that's where we start, man. It all started uh, just out of that need to to play some music. And at the time, uh, I really wanted to do something more old school, uh, something more in that vein of what I grew up listening to. You know, like obituary, uh, sepultura, kind of the arise era, and and, and wanted to give it a try to something like that. Uh, so yeah, that's how how it all started. And how did you guys meet? I met Gonzalo 
like around 2012 he he played in different bands back home and then we end up meeting with the band that i've told you head crusher he ended up working with us he helped us out a few times as a drum tech uh and that's how we met and then we start talking from there and then eventually we play a few shows with his band uh what else what do you remember gonzalo yeah yeah that was it and then I remember I did a like a concert, like a little festival, and I put Head Crusher in that because I was talking with Carlos, the guitar player, and, and then we ended up just being like a good friend. And then after Head, uh, after Head Crusher came to Colombia, like a couple of times for Rock Al Park and different festivals, I, I was helping them with doing some merchandising, like locally in Colombia, doing hats and some stuff, and then at the same time doing like a drone tech and having fun with them and yeah, still connected. And actually, Carlos and Kikis, they're one of my best friends since then. Yeah, one of the things yeah. with Gonzalo, Jeff, was that, uh, and the reason why I, I wanted him to play uh, in Sol de Sangre is because these guys, he's the kind of guy that you mentioned, whatever super obscure band from Sweden. And he would be like, oh yeah, uh, that's the band where the guys from Dismember and the guys from, I don't know what band used to play. And he, he just knows all those like obscure bands that only like really cold dead metal dudes know. So, so I was like, this is the guy, like if we want to put just that old school vibe in these records, uh, we need somebody who, who knows that, who, who really has lived the the death metal pathway so so yeah that that's one of the main reasons we wanted him to play this with this band with that said who are some of the first bands that got you guys into death metal or just metal in general wow that's a difficult question but well <clears throat> i think for me that i have a cousin that always showed me like heavy metal stuff and then I started I remember I started with the Bina the Remains and Arise from Sepultura but straight away into Wolverine Blues and I remember the first record that I hear from At The Gaze it was The Red, the red in the Sky is ours that is the first record and then since that I just get into Dismember, Unleash all that stuff but basically i started with sepultura and in tomb and at the gates like around a long time ago i was talking about since like 1995 something like that i'm a i'm a late bloomer man <laughs> when it comes to extreme uh metal <laughs> I, I gotta be honest uh i remember as a kid um I would go to my grandma's house and then my uncles, uh, they would listen to some glam metal. They, they would listen to Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, Poison, and they had the records. Uh, so that's what I would listen to when they would play. And then eventually my brother got into heavy metal for, for a few years and he was really big into heavy metal bands from Spain. So, yeah, 
there were amazing bands in all in Spanish. Um, and I love them. These bands called Angeles del Infierno, um, um, Sangre Azul, can't think of others. Uh, and that, that's what got me into heavy metal. Uh, and eventually, you know, I got into the Metallica, the Anthrax, and then eventually, you know, Pantera and Sepultura, and then got curious to look for more extreme metal. Uh, but it took me a while. I remember listening uh, Napalm Death, and it was just too much for me as a kid, like being 15, 16, and listening to Napalm Death. I was like, that, that, I don't even get it. I don't know what this is all about. Um, and I remember listening to uh, Morbid Angel and how do you pronounce it? D.I. Side, D.I. Side, D.I. Side, you know, the Glenn Benton band. Uh, yep, uh, D.I. Side. Yep. Uh, I remember listening to it and just I, I couldn't get it. It was too much for me. So it took me a while. It took me a minute just to 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 like it and to understand it. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but, you know, once you get the hang of it, once you get hooked, <laughs> there's no turning back. It's a slippery slope. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> So what do you think changed? I guess uh, just your perception uh, of the music and the way uh, it usually goes with these uh, dark arts. Uh, once you get into it, you just, you just try to look for something that is more extreme, something that uh, is pushing the boundaries. And then that's probably what, what gets you curious and you want to research and you want to know okay, I want to know the, the most obscure band. I want to know the heaviest band. Uh, so I, I think it was probably that. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think that's the path that not, on, not only as a musician, but as a fan that I've kept all these years. It's always trying to find new bands, trying to find what's happening right now with metal, those kind of things. Uh, what keep you curious? Yeah, I would have to agree there too. And like for me, a lot of the more extreme bands, it took a while to get into them. And I think what happened was you just get that one song that would kind of stick in your head and you're like, man, I didn't like that, but I kind of want to listen to it again. And then you just start to enjoy it and then you start to hear the rhythms and the melodies and you start to like the complexities. And that's what drew me to it, I think, in the chaos. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I agree. And um, doesn't it happen to you... Uh albums that you haven't listened to in a while and then you go and revisit them and it's just a lot of discovery you're like oh this sounds great like oh this album is so awesome and you start listening to things that you didn't listen to when you listen it for the first time that's pretty cool yeah i agree um gonzalo um you were credited with the album artwork am i right in saying that <clears throat> all right yeah, the, the concept of the artwork um, is it's about Colombia. It's about what happened in terms of uh, what's the, the, in the internal problem that we have in our country. Like um, the scenario in the artwork is like it's mountains. It's like a, basically like an illustration from a mountain that is in in a city called Bucaramanga and the name and the name of the of this is like a valley uh, Kike, Gustavo. it's like a valley is kind of a thing and then there is a river in the middle of the mountains and and the illustration is like 
basically blood coming through the river from the mountains because actually when 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 we had these fights between guerrillas and and the government and and the mafia and everything that, that used to happen and it still happened there a lot of people got into the river like they killed people and then they put it in the river and the bodies and stuff like that um yeah this is kind of like the the meaning of the artwork is like pure chaos in a country that we came from and, and reflect the truth that we are talking about in the lyrics. Like there is like specific stuff that happens in 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 the 90s and when we grow up in the middle of this world of cartels and everything and and government. Yeah, that's basically that. That's really um, cool. Um, that's a lot deeper than I expected. I, I really enjoy like the orange sunset, not the sunset, but the orange like sky. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, it's because so all the sangre is in English is a kind of like sun, sun of blood. Yep, and that's why it's the sun there, and it's dropping blood into the river that is in the middle of the mountains. Yeah like that is like the, the the meaning of the the name of the band in the whole artwork and supporting the lyrics and everything that is happening in the, in the album there's like a faint yeah. um faint lines that make it look as if it was folded in half at least on the on the internet here yeah is is kind of a vintage touch um because when you open the artwork, when you see the, the booklet and everything, you can see it's like a old paper, old newspaper stuff into that, old, like stuff that happens. And that's what we're talking about. That's why it makes sense. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I, 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 I always enjoy the, um, the artwork. I like to look at the detail and stuff like that. It looks really, really good. And that's actually one of the first things that drew me to your guys' band. And then I listened to the music afterwards. Yeah, and, uh, I actually got featured in a book, the heavy metal artworks from what's the what was the year, uh, Gustavo? That was like a... probably 2019, probably 2018, 2019. Yeah, the I... album was released March. 2018, yeah, I got featured so in the... yeah. 2018, 2018. Yeah, I got featured in that book from London, and and it was the, like the best artworks of the metal scene in in, a, in the year, and. Yeah, and I and I and I showed the the artwork and a couple of stuff around the the meaning of of everything that I create for that, and I did like the campaign. I I create like merchandising, like t-shirts, patches, hats, um, different stuff. Um, yes, yeah, and it was really really cool. I'm really um, happy with the results of all the artwork for that album. And then do you do artwork for other bands as well? Yeah, uh, sometimes um, I work for different bands of Colom from Colombia. I used to play in two bands. Um, 
one is absolution denied is like death melodic death metal and another one is a crumblish that is like old school death metal and i used to do all the artworks for them um and yeah sometimes i work for different kind of music i i got i work for pop music um different stuff i uh, i work with different uh graphic directors photographers and and I work as a photographer too. And sometimes I just do collaborations with different people and and do stuff. Yeah. Other than Spanish being like your first language, or at least most commonly spoken, um, are there any reasons you guys chose to write mostly in Spanish instead of another language like English? I mean, English is featured on your latest EP, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think the main reason uh, why. I chose to write the lyrics in Spanish was because uh, even though Spanish is my first language um, and I start playing heavy metal in Colombia, I never wrote any lyrics in Spanish. Uh, so that was pretty ironic. Um, and when I listened to these songs, they, they, they really gave me that old school vibe. And I remember, uh, just being back home and being at you know local shows and and I start thinking about those bands that I would see live local bands we're talking about the 90s that it was a time in which no band wanted to go to Colombia yeah. <laughs> there was no international band that was interested in going to the country so lots of the shows were were local bands and lots of these bands would have lyrics in English but some of them also had lyrics in Spanish and not knowing English at the time, you would connect with those lyrics that were in Spanish. Uh, so that was kind of the intention, try to have remembrance of those times. And then, and then I thought about it that, well, in my older bands, I've have, I've have always written words in English. So why don't we give it a try in Spanish? So so that's how it started. And surprisingly, it was quite natural. It, they came up pretty easy and pretty quick. Uh, and it was just a matter just to make sure they, they match the music. And uh, there's something quite uh, particular about the Spanish with the consonants and the vowels uh, that sometimes you have that feeling that they don't match as easily as the English language. And I don't know if that's actually the case or if it's just that your brain is simply trained to listen to this type of music in English because most of the bands do this music in English and that's how you grew up, listening to all the bands uh, singing in English, screaming in English. Uh, um, so it's sometimes you go to that process like does this sound good i don't yeah. know <laughs> but uh but I, I was really happy with the uh, with the product i was really happy uh having that chance to write those lyrics in spanish and and i think it translated well with the people when people listen listen to the album uh, in spanish-speaking countries argentina chile mexico colombia uh i think people uh dig that and the other thing is that um, the region where we're from, uh, Gonzalo is from Medellin. I'm from a smaller town close to Medellin called Armenia, like the country. Uh, 
we are we are what people call us montañeros and montañeros is mountain mountain people we are people from the mountains and 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 this and and then the way we speak in spanish is is very particular like the there's a lot of sayings a lot of slang uh a lot of ways to to approach the spanish language which is probably not the most uh educated yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was something that i found interesting that was uh approaching these lyrics yeah. with some of that way of people from the mountains of montañeros to speak yeah so so i start in spanish talking just let's call it slang with, with some slang from that zone and from that region and is this the way uh our our grandparents uh grew up like this just these people that pretty much peasants peasants who grow who grew up in farms and then they have certain way to to <laughs> to use the language yeah. so i use some of that uh and i think that that called the attention yeah. of spanish-speaking people the way i was saying it like i didn't honestly i didn't go for poetry let's say that <laughs> <laughs> i i use very like pretty straightforward language uh, so uh it came out pretty good and, and and yeah we were we were happy with it we just had different we just had different words for different stuff yeah uh it's like when you listen if you are learning spanish and you listen to someone speaking from peru or someone is speaking from argentina or someone is speaking from colombia it, we use different words to name something yeah let's say like bottle or something like that yet yeah? we we just feel familiar just spitting out spit it out like what we need to say in the words like we grow up like that's the best thing like for example my friends my neighbors that they are in into heavy metal music and they listen to soul the sangre and they say like man this is so nice because you guys are talking about what we know like the words and how Gustavo express himself is the way how we talk about mm -hmm. yeah like that's the, that's the thing it's not about it's not obviously this is not like elegant Spanish or it's a different way it's like it is what it is it's a straight to your face with how we talk yeah yeah <laughs> and Spanish is different like like you said from different countries I mean one thing that I at least I feel that I noticed is like uh, you draw out the, the vowels a little bit differently. You might have the accent a little bit stronger in certain words, stuff like that. So, yeah, definitely. That that that's um, that's a, it's good that you notice that. Good appreciation because uh, uh, it happens. Um, for example, once again, people from this region, from where we are, we are known in the whole country for speaking kind of slower than the rest of the country. Like we kind of like just drag the words and we have a, a, a strong accent on the S, on the letter S. So everything just sounds like, like this somehow. Uh, so that's, that, that's quite interesting that you, you notice that. And then when you compare that, not only with other regions of the country, but with other countries, uh, yeah, you can tell that there's certain intonation and yeah. certain uh, accent on, on certain words. Uh, Spanish from Spain, are they quite fast in the way they speak? Uh, 
I think it depends on the region. Uh, I work, I actually, I currently work with, with three people from Spain. Uh, and, and yeah, even though, you know, it, it's one of those things that even though we all speak the same language, sometimes they tell me some things and I was like, I don't know. what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the same happens to them when I say something and I'm not really thinking about it. I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's not present in me that I'm talking to them. I just say it out loud and they're like, what did you say? What was that? So, so it happens from time to time. Uh, yeah. And it, it, and once again, it depends from what part of the country the person is, that is going to be a faster way to speak or a slower way to speak. Yeah. yeah. And we see the same thing here, like um, the biggest difference. And we, we make fun of them a lot too. I have a lot of, pe a lot of friends from the East coast, but we always make fun of their English because they have, some interesting sayings they have a different accent and yeah. they and they definitely yeah I, I would say they're more direct in a lot of things they say but some of it doesn't I make agree. any sense to me at all <laughs> yeah i agree um i remember uh first few years um in texas uh, when i would go to just really small towns in there some people would talk to me and phew, gosh i was like would you repeat that please <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that southern accent is really hard to get used to. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. I wish I could do it, uh, but yeah, it's it's it take it takes uh, a minute to. If English is not your first language, it takes a little bit of time just to get used to. It. Tell me, tell me, me, like for example, for me that I'm here in Australia, it's so fucking difficult. Like English is the. Sometimes I feel like this is not English, like this is so different, like, like they speak so fast and they have so many different words. And when I go to Colombia, when I stop in Los Angeles or New York or Miami, I just feel so good because I can understand everything. And then, yeah, it's totally different. Like here, they speak so fast, really fast all the time. Yeah. You're starting to get your Australian accent, though. I've heard it a few times today. Yeah. You're getting the yeah. <laughs> yep. Get it yep. there, man. <laughs> now with your latest EP that was released, um, you guys kind of switched over to mostly English songs. So what prompted that change? Um, oh, man. Uh, I think it was we just didn't want to... We just didn't want to repeat ourselves and we were trying to see um, what we could do. And for that EP, we really wanted to go uh, heavier, darker. And, and we just went, like, our first album, it has a lot of elements of death metal, but it has also a lot of trash metal. It has a lot of that late 80s, uh, early 90s Sepultura. Uh, and then with the latest EP, we, we just went full on death metal. And we uh, wanted to give it a try. We said, like, you know what? Let's see what happens if we do these these songs in English. What 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 could happen? Uh, so that's what we did. So we we just recorded it in in English, and um, I think it went well. Uh, <laughs> I have we have a buddy in in Australia as well, and when he listened to the to the EP. Uh, for the first time, he was. I think he he told Gonzalo like, "Yeah, it's cool, but 
in what language is Gustavo singing? Because I can understand. It's obviously not Spanish. And if it's English, it's a horrible English because I can't understand a single word of what he's saying. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things. We think it went well. I think uh, definitely doing the second, that EP in English, uh, it, it gave the possibility to be listened in other places. Like I think English speakers felt a little bit more interested. And then we start getting feedback from, from places that we haven't heard before from, from Europe mostly. So that was cool. That was cool that, uh, it kind of opened those doors to, to metalheads who, who, who speak English only. I'm kind of in a phase right now where I'm, <clears throat> I'm very much drawn to metal in other languages because I can't understand it. And I think it's cool how they make their, the languages fit with the music. Um, I know how English rhymes. I know how it flows and I don't have that same education with other languages. So it's really cool and surprising to me when somebody can fit that in the same realm. Yeah, I agree, man. I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I remember, um, actually probably writing that first Soul the Sangre album. Um, I was listening, um, what's, what's the name? This band from Norway. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Velortak, Kevelortak. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, uh, maybe I don't think so. All right. All, all the lyrics are in Norwegian. Uh, and it works, man. It works. It, it just sounds phenomenal. It sounds, it sounds nasty. It sounds heavy. It sounds great. So I think that was one of those that was like, well, it, you can work it out. Like you can work it out in a, in your own language and it's still, it's going to sound, you know, it's going to sound heavy and it's going to sound good. It's going to sound like it all, it's all together and not just the lyrics are like a whole different thing. Well, and it also proves that metal can transcend boundaries like language. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. And, and I can't really think of bands right now, but uh, there are lots of bands that they write in whatever language they are from and, and, and it works out. It works pretty well. Mm -hmm. I would definitely agree with that. Um, as far as Colombian metal goes, is English relatively popular or is it mostly Spanish? What do you think, Gonzalo? Mostly Spanish. Um... But now when I go back, I feel like everyone is getting more into English. Like you can see the signs and everything in the streets and stuff like English is coming like more strong. Yeah. Uh, you know what, man? Like, uh, I think honestly, when I think about Colombian bands, I think most of them use like, since I can remember, they made an effort to to speak to to do their songs in English. Now, what I notice a lot is that probably what bands used to do in the past um, is that they would write their their songs in Spanish and then translate into English. And sometimes it would be some sort of kind of funny English, you know, things that wouldn't make much sense. Um, so I think that's probably what happened in the past. And then, uh, as Gonzalo said, you know. In the last 20 years, the world has opened uh, to everybody. So people have more access to, to English in general. So uh, even in the country, when you go to big cities like Gonzalo's, Medellin or Bogota, everybody speaks English. Everybody's able to communicate in English. And uh, I think that has made uh, 
that the bands get just much better than that. Definitely. There's also a downside, though. I think like when when we start to look at like the globalization, um, I kind of enjoy going to a place that I can't understand the language. And so when when everything is English, it kind of it kind of loses some of the charm. And then I'm less likely to try and learn the, the native language or at least aspects of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm guilty of that, man. Like, <laughs> I'm the kind of guy that whenever I go somewhere, uh, I go right away in English just to, to make things easy. But, but yeah, uh, it would be nice to try to make the effort to learn, you know, at least the basics. Yeah. I think um, when I get back to traveling, I'm going to start putting more an emphasis on learning at least some simple sentences. When I have traveled in the past, I've noticed that people really appreciate you trying to learn their their first language. And I, yeah, when people come to Canada, most of them speak three, four, or five languages, and I speak one. I feel dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, man. Um, I think this this was a few months ago. Got in a cab and and the cab driver, he's like. Uh, where are you from? So I'm, you know, from Colombia, all this. And, and then he said to me, whatever in Spanish, and he said, like, my goal is to know at least one word in every single language. At this point, I'm at 156 or something like that. He said a ridiculous number, over 100. So he was like, just, just ask. And, you know, I start with the, the first ones that come to mind, Italian, French, German. And then I start just looking for really weird languages in Africa, Swahili, and he would say something. And, and just like that, it was insane. Like he knew at least one word uh, in every single language that I asked him. And it was like, yeah, that, that's my thing. That's my thing. I want to learn at least one word from every single language that is out there. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty amazing. Yeah, that's, that's wicked. Yeah. In Colombia, did you guys notice like a specific metal sound that came out of the scene there or that it was influenced by... A specific sound, I guess. Uh, this one is for Gonzalo. He he will tell you all about um, ultra metal, ultra metal uh, from Medellin. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there's a lot uh, of metal going on actually in Colombia, but I think in the worldwide scene, I think Colombia is is known for some sort of subgenre that was born in Gonzalo City, Medellin, in the late 80s, uh, early 90s, that they call it ultra metal. And it's just this primitive trash slash death metal uh, that sounds like shit, but somehow is so attractive and it's so different that it called the attention of a lot of people worldwide. And it's still very underground. It's very underground and it's just for people who, who really like uh, things that are not out there. But but yeah, I think that's what the country is most well known yeah. for when it comes to metal. I don't know. Do you want to elaborate on that, Gonzalo? Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Like it's, it's it's ultra metal and it's really underground. Basically, I know the fans of this is like people from Japan and a lot of people from Germany, a lot of people from Norway, and there is bands from Colombia that used to be in contact with all the black metal scene in Norway. Like 
with these uh, famous names like Euronymous or Dead back in the day when we they were live. They used to be in contact with people of bands from Colombia, from my city, and they have like all the the physical letters and stuff like changing cassettes and all that stuff. Yeah, but it's yeah ultra metal. Yeah. Have you heard about it, Jeff? No, I was actually yeah. just going to ask um, who are some bands that I should look up? Yeah, so I know probably the main one is Parabellum. Uh, that's probably one of the, and what's, there's another one, but the whole thing with it, and this is still something that uh, people argue about, and there's not, I don't know if there's real evidence, but it seems that, you know, the guys from, from Mayhem in Norway and, and those early black like norwegian black metal bands like they were into whatever was going on in south america mostly chile and brazil and then somehow they were able to get in touch with these bands also from colombia and some other parts in south america and it seems that they they love that sound you know that sound that just sounded awful sounded uh really raw like that's what it was it was just really raw and they felt attracted to that and then people say that those guys were actually quite an influence on that first wave of uh norwegian black metal uh again that's something that it's arguable uh arguable so who knows if it's uh i don't know if it's a fact um but a lot of people say that and that's kind of like the the myth that goes around in the streets in Colombia, when it comes to metal, that there was a direct influence from this ultra metal in the Norwegian black metal. That's pretty cool. I can see you mentioned before we started recording here that you started originally getting into like Metallica and Slayer. Um, and that's kind of how you started to learn to speak English. So I find it quite interesting the contrast between that and the Norwegian black metal, like two completely different genres and with the same type of love. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's just crazy. And, and you know, we're talking about the 80s. The geographical distance is, is insane. And we're talking about these people would write letters to each other. So, so that makes it even more fascinating. Yeah, pretty amazing. And so, like, how do you think that the genres in Colombia um, kind of compare to Singapore? Oh, wow. Um, it, I think... I don't know how accurate uh, this is, but I feel that um, a lot of the metal in Colombia has a, a heavy influence from, from the U.S. metal just because of the geographical proximity. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a lot of influence from, from everything that is going on in the U.S. Uh, it's, you know, it's just right there. Uh, and compared to Singapore, I think Singapore is a very young country. I think it's 50 years old, 50 something years old. Uh, so even though it's, it feels like a first world country and is incredibly, incre incredibly modern uh, in all aspects, when it comes to metal, it's still in early stages. Okay. Uh, so it actually, Singapore reminds me a little bit what, what Colombia used to be in the 90s. You know, there are not... Uh, heavy metal venues there are not a lot of heavy metal places where bands can play uh and all that uh but 
I mean, in Southeast Asia, you, you find a lot of amazing death metal, some, some extreme death metal. Uh, I think, you know, Indonesia is king when it comes to brutal death metal. So I think that has a lot of influence in this part of the world as well, in Singapore. Uh, so I think it's, it's different in that aspect. Um, uh, don't know what else to say about it. I think I think in, in Colombia there's not necessarily an industry, uh, and bands don't make a living out of uh, what they play, but there's somehow of an in, in infrastructure. You know, there are there are lots of venues for bands to play. There are quite a few festivals in the country, and and, and bands can you know can get their products, sell it around, and 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 have, quote-unquote, a semi-career just within the country. So so I think that that helps. Now, with the geography, what we were talking earlier, it's, it's just hard to tour in the country, mm -hmm. in Colombia, you know, when you have to <laughs> drive seven, eight, ten hours just for 200 kilometers, it doesn't make it feasible to to tour uh, all year long. So, so bands have to be very practical when it comes to touring and when it comes to invest money and time for these type of things. Definitely. And it's interesting, um, speaking to some Australian guests in the past, uh, I know that it's, well, at least they've told me that it's quite a bit easier to travel and tour within the country. But then if you start to branch out, like basically everything's overseas, so it becomes exponentially more expensive and a lot more time and resources that you need to put into a tour outside of Australia. So that's a, an interesting contrast for me. <clears throat> yeah, it is. Like basically, all the bands here uh, make the, their own tours. Like because we have like just five, just five cities. Like mm -hmm. in terms of the tour, and the flights are cheap. You can just make your tour, and it's fun. It's good, but we are so far away of everything. Like if you if you're gonna make a tour, like. The best way to make a real tour is like Asia or Japan. But if you want to go to Europe or America, it's going to be expensive. Mm -hmm. yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but like I, I've seemed to notice that a lot of the Australian metal scene has a very heavy deathcore influence. Like there's a lot of deathcore bands that are coming out yeah. of it. But I can't really think of many other genres coming out of Australia right now. Yeah, but it's a lot of hard, like hardcore influences, like the artist Murder, Psychoptic, uh, all that kind of bands. But I always think, for example, because I I think I am more old school. I always think about the old days of Nuclear Blast, and I always think about Australia, and I think about Mortification, that is like a the old school dead metal, and it was like a it was really particular because it was like a Christian dead male. And you know what? I, sorry to interrupt. That actually came up in a conversation today. And I'm so thankful you gave me the name because I couldn't remember it. Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's it. But uh, yeah, it's basically a lot of green, green core, um, dead green, um, yeah, basically, not much black metal stuff like that. 
Mm -hmm. Now, since we've chatted a little bit about COVID, I want to talk about your guys' project, uh, Metal Against Coronavirus. That's a pretty cool way to include a lot of musicians. What, how did you guys start that? Um, by the way, Jeff, uh, is it okay if uh, after this question, I, uh, I need to go? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, so, but I want to touch on that uh, and then I'll say bye. Sure. Um, yeah, Metal Against Coronavirus. So it all started with a good friend of us called Jordi, Jordi Creus. He's from Barcelona, Spain. And he was the guy who came up with everything. Uh, he just had this idea of started to have one song where we would collaborate with some some heavyweights. Um, uh, remind me the names of that song, Celestial Burial, Gonzalo. Who were the? the... Yeah, we put we put uh, Jeff Becerra uh, on the vocals, and it was Kike Gustavo. And it was uh, Mark from Panical Miel from Spain, and in and we we get it uh, James Murphy to do our solo guitar solo, and then yeah, I played the drums. Um, yeah, it was really fun. We basically started with that song, and then we start the project, and then we we discuss like we can invite different musicians and make different songs, and let's see if we can do like a little teams for each song and see where we can go. And then the past two year, one year, almost two years, like we create 18 songs. Yeah. And it's already like 15 songs out and all the songs has different musicians from different bands around the world. And everyone is just recording whatever they want, like, according to the situation like if they have like their own studio or their own like year to do whatever they they can do and then we ended up doing like a nice songs like a singles and then yeah that's basically metal against coronavirus like trying to you make the metal scene around the world fight against coronavirus something like that yeah i thought that was an incredible idea yeah, it was pretty crazy, man. It started with a, with one song, and then next thing is over a hundred artists. Now I don't want to yeah. take any credit on that. Like honestly, it all it has all been uh, Jordi. Jordi is the one talking to the band, talking to the producers, talking to pretty much everybody. And Gonzalo is the one who has created all the image. Honestly, all what I've done, I just happen to speak a little bit more English than. Gonzalo and Jordi, so I just have been helping a little bit when it comes to, you know, typing text in English, creating a biography for an artist here and there. That's all what I've done. But but the the heavy the heavy work has been done by by Jordi and and Gonzalo. They are they are the ones that have been doing all this work for almost two years now, and I just collaborate here and there and try to provide some a little bit of help. But but yeah, it's it's all them. Um, I gotta go. Um, uh, no problem. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks uh, a lot. This has been great, man. Mm -hmm. Nice conversation. Great meeting you. Uh, Before you go, touch, um, last things as we wrap this up. If people are looking for your music, where is the best place to find it for you guys? Oh yeah, man. We're everywhere. Uh, 
You can find us on Bandcamp, Spotify, and all the other streaming services. We are on Facebook as Sol de Sangre. That's like bloody sun in English, something like that, or, or blood of the sun, blood from the sun, Sol de Sangre. Uh, you find us on Facebook, uh, and we're also on Instagram at Sol de Sangre. And do we? We're pretty, I'm pretty sure we are on Twitter, even though we don't use Twitter that much. Uh, but I guess, uh, yeah, if you're into our music and you want to reach out, chat, uh, or anything, uh, probably the easiest way is to reach out through Facebook or Instagram. Awesome, gentlemen. It was a pleasure to meet you guys, and thank you so much for spending this time with me. Uh, I'll let you guys get going, and I'll hit the sack. Thanks a lot, Jeff. This has been great. All right. Thank you. Thank you for everything. All right. Bye. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.